Welcome to Conversation Mill. Join me as I talk to individuals stepping out to pursue their passions, from small business owners to community leaders, and learn with me how we can work together to support our local communities and local economies. Visit conversationmill.com to learn more, but now please join us in conversation. Today on the podcast, I am talking with Sherry Joseph. This conversation was such a joy, and I think it will motivate you, like it did me, to pursue a passion or two you might have put on the shelf. I sat down with Sherry inside her Jade Healing Massage offices, located on Mill Street in Plymouth, Wisconsin, very close to where I grew up. Sherry and her husband, Tim, own the building we are in, and Sherry guided me through a series of hallways and staff rooms that connect to their dental practice, Joseph & Joseph Dental. Sherry holds a doctorate in general dentistry, is a licensed massage therapist, a mother of five, a marathon runner, and recently took up pottery, creating her own pottery studio out of her home. And I haven't even highlighted everything that makes this woman a real-life superhero. This is just the first of what is hopefully many conversations with Dr. Sherry Joseph. So I want to start by uh, asking dentistry and massage seem like two different worlds. Yeah. I think to most people, how did you bring those two things together and what got you from dentistry into massage? Yeah. So, um, I wanted to be a dentist since I was like six or seven years old and kept on it the whole time. And my, you know, ended up going to dental school. My brother also went to dental school. So Suddenly, we became this dental family. Um, I married a dentist. He married a dental hygienist. He's got a daughter in dental school and a dental hygienist, and my son's going to dental school. So all of a sudden, we're rolling into this whole dental field. My dad was a surgeon. He's retired now. He was a general surgeon. And at one point, he kind of started delving into acupuncture. And which is kind of different for a Western or, you know, Western medicine to kind of delve into Eastern, but he was kind of interested in that. And I really thought it was very cool. So I kind of started looking into it and I thought, you know, maybe I'll do acupuncture. That seems like a kind of a cool thing to get into. And uh, the nearest school here is in Racine, which is, you know, an hour and a half, almost two hours away and five kids that just wasn't going to fly. Yeah. So I started kind of looking around to see if maybe acupressure might be something to look into. And there was a school that I found that was, there's no acupressure, like licensure for acupressure, but it's under the heading of massage therapy. And so I found a place that practiced Chinese medicine, acupressure under the heading of massage therapy in Madison. Hmm which is still almost two hours away. And I said, ah, that's not going to work. And then that fall, I found out that they were opening a campus in Milwaukee. Oh, perfect. school. And so then I checked it out and talked to the families just to see if this was a go. And they said, go for it. So I started going to school. And And not to interrupt you, but when you decided to go to school for that were you still practicing dentistry or yes. did where did you do that part-time or you were still doing it full-time and um I have been part-time dentistry since 
we started having a lot of kids. Sure. So, that, yeah, make, was, that makes sense. I was four days a week, then three days a week, then two days a week. Then we started homeschooling. That was a day and a half a week. And then I okay. never took that day a half day back. And then started this and went to a day a week after after I started doing like the um, massage therapy stuff. Um, but yeah, I started doing, going to school there and became the first graduate of that campus for massage um, therapy. But the... The funny thing is, is I, I never really understood why I had this, I don't know, pull to doing this. Um, there were some weird things that happened. Like I was up north with my family and at my in-laws. And I was just on my phone one night just kind of, and I thought, what is like the Bible of acupuncture? Like, what's the book? Yeah. So I went on Amazon and looked and there was this huge thick book that was like the bible of acupuncture and i was like oh i wonder if my dad has that i'll 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 have to check that out you know and shut my phone off went to bed in the morning i woke up and it said thank you for your purchase (laughs) and apparently somehow i bought the book and it was like i don't know like a hundred dollars or something and i thought well my husband was like well just send it back you know when it comes and i'm like all right well it came and I couldn't help it. I opened it up and I looked at half of it was in Chinese. And I was like, but I was just fascinated. I'm yeah. like, I just keep this book? Because it's just pretty awesome. So I kept it. Um, and that was like kind of the first weird thing. And then the second thing was, uh, you know, those career cruising um, things that the kids do in school where they kind of answer some questions and it says, hey, you should be this. Or You're consider being that. Yeah, you, you might. this might be a good fit for you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I was in the library with my son during some counseling thing, and they were going through this stuff, you know, how they came to the questions and all this kind of stuff. And then we went over the things that, you know, our kids were recommended. Yeah. And then the, the counselor was like, hey, you know, parents, if you want to quick do this test, you know, you can see, you know, what it says. And so I just answered the questions. And the first thing that came up was acupuncturist. That's a little wild. Kind of weird. Um, so when wow. all this kind of came up, I was like, okay, this is maybe universe is telling me, you know, do this, go this route. So I did it. And while I was in school mm. uh, for massage therapy, I uh, was working on my kids. I was practicing on my kids. They were in high, like my oldest ones were in high school at the time. And I noticed my son had some lymph nodes that were kind of inflamed in the back of his neck. And I kind of asked him about it. And he was like, oh, I don't know. He doesn't feel sick. And he was fine. And yeah. so as the months went on, I was still practicing. And I said, it's still there. Maybe we should get it checked out. So we went to the ENT. Um, long story short, he ended up having like a head full of polyps. Had to have surgery. Um, it was way worse than they thought wow Um, would have been very debilitating had we not caught it and done something in time and i mean you don't don't go around feeling your kids necks you know so i feel like it was sort of like something telling me you need to do this Mm -hmm. because your son's going to need help and you know so then after his his surgery was supposed to only supposed to be like forty five minutes. Yeah, it was like an hour and a half, and we were still in the waiting room. I was getting kind of worried, and then the surgeon came in and told us, you know, everything. And he was like, "It was a little crazy." And so my husband and I were waiting for him to come out, and I was like, "Well, this is why I was mm-hmm. pushed to do this." 
And I said, so can I be done? Like, yeah, <laughs> is this it? if this was the one thing that was accomplished by learning this yeah. uh, mission accomplished, like, I really honestly wow. think that that was really what the push was for it. But my husband's like, no, I think you have more people to help. And over the last eight years, it has been that all that. So it's. It's been really great. Did you feel a calling as a young child or a teenager to help people? Because dentistry is helping people as well. And I want to get to this later and ask some questions about it. Because um, going to the dentist is something (laughs) most people are scared of, which we'll dig into later. But it's also something that helps people so much because it's an image thing. If your teeth are unattractive by today's standards, whatever that means, or you're missing teeth or whatever, that's such a blow to your self-esteem. So mm-hmm. when people's teeth are healthy, it it change it can change their life. Yeah. So both things you're doing are are really beneficial. And we'll get into some of the sleep dentistry you're doing too, but did you feel that calling? Was that a part clearly it's a part of why you did your massage, but Yeah. Um the first um, notion that I had that I wanted to go into dentistry was because I chipped a tooth when I was like six mm. years old at school and my mom quit brought me to this pediatric dentist who wasn't my normal dentist I loved our normal dentist he was very very kind so nice but I went to this other dentist I didn't have a lot of work to do you know as a kid I didn't have a lot of cavities and things but I had chipped a front tooth and this dentist used you know light and all this all these tools and I just thought oh the toys are so fun in here yeah so I walked out of there and I told my mom I'm gonna be a dentist and she was like yeah all right (laughs) but that was like the first thing and I just kind of stuck with it um and dentistry just seemed like I did delve into maybe going to medical school when I was in Mm -hmm. college but then I ended up staying with dental mostly because my dad um him being a surgeon sure um had to be away from the house so much and he just didn't i think he just didn't really want that for me as a Mm -hmm. woman as a mom um to always be pulled away from the house um so he's like i think dentistry is a great thing especially for you know a mom you know you can do that part-time and still be in the thick of it and um so I ended up sticking with that. Also, I have to give credit to our regular dentist because he was always so kind, so nice. And I mm. remember we were on our way to a dental um, appointment, my sisters and my brother, and she had told us that Dr. Otto's uh, wife had died. And I felt so sad. And I, and I, Honestly, just being a little kid, I thought I'd walk in there and he'd be super sad and it would just be really a solemn experience. Mm -hmm. But no, he was like all nice and fun and, you know, laughing. And I thought, wow, what a great guy. (laughs) And so my experience overall was always very good going Mm -hmm. to the going to the dentist. And I I guess with my dad, my mom was also in the medical field. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe I just kind of was drawn to that. Um, and I don't know, teeth are, teeth are cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And how did your parents balance? Now, how many siblings do you have? I have, um, two sisters and a brother. Okay. So they were both in the medical field. Your dad was a surgeon. Mm -hmm. What was your mom doing then? How did they balance that? Cause that can be a lot 
with four kids and careers. So my mom, um, she worked as a pharmacy slash med tech. Um, and and they came from the Philippines um, from my dad's surgical residency. Um, my brother and my sister were both born in the Philippines. And then when we came here, then I was born and then my sister. So, um, my mom did work for a while, but after a while she, you know, had three young ones. Um, my sister and my brother and I are within two years of each other, all three of us. Oh, wow. So it's, yeah, we're very, bing 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 yeah and um so my mom ended up staying home um but my dad um continued you know working and he was gone a lot um, yeah because he was working at two hospitals two or three hospitals and a clinic and so he was really working very hard when we lived in Davenport which was you know kind of a bigger city yeah um when I got to seventh grade we moved to a smaller town Makokata um which is much like Plymouth and um it was a really good move for him, I think, because he wasn't kind of all over the place yeah. um, at so many different places. So it was a good move, I think, for everyone, our family, and for him career-wise. Yeah. Um, but my mom never went back to work as far as in the medical field, but she did do, like, paperwork and billing and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff for my dad. So so them having um, come here from the Philippines and then coming into the Midwest like that as an immigrant – what was that experience for them coming to the Midwest? Because I would love to say, having grown up here, that there's not as much racism as there maybe is in the South. But I've also seen a lot of it here in the Midwest, especially in places like Iowa. Some people don't see other ethnicities until they leave their communities. Right. Um, my mom and dad were pretty blessed in that there was a pretty strong Filipino community in Des Moines, where they first started, um, and then they moved to Davenport, and there was even, I would say even, for me, it seemed like a, even a stronger community. Uh, so there was a lot of immigration happening to those areas. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's pr- gonna, prior years to or- get here from the Philippines, you're going to get the doctors, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, you're going to get people that are in like professions, they need to have a reason to have been here and yeah. usually it's going to be in some kind of profession like that. So there gets to be kind of, a, you know, a society that is like the Filipino society or whatever. And we grew up with a strong um, society in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, we did these, it was so awesome. We did these folk festivals that the Quad Cities would put on and it would be all the different um nationalities that were represented and they would have fashion shows and it was just over a weekend that it'd be fashion shows and dances and food and then each it was in a school and each room had like a cultural center where you could see oh that's great and and learn about each culture and so we'd always have like a dodgeball tournament with a um, with Greeks versus the <laughs> Filipino kids, you know, and it was just like super, that's great, super fun. But I mean, as far I'm sure my parents and they don't talk about it too mm-hmm. much, but I'm sure they ran into some racism things. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel it sometimes, but I I feel like I don't know. It, in Plymouth, we're pretty well accepted. Yes. Um, I mean, they know that you know we're 
professionals and my kids are good students and good mm-hmm. kids. And so we, I don't feel like that they've really run into that so much, but I will say, I mean, there's not a lot, you know, that yeah, a lot of kids that are running around that have black hair or, you know, I mean, it's just <laughs> sure not common. Um, but I think that we've adapted pretty well and Plymouth has been so accepting and welcoming, mm-hmm. very welcoming since the moment we got here. I mean, just professionally as Dennis and as our family, mm-hmm. um, always been welcome. And it's just really a, it's the reason why we came Sorry, here. No, it's so positive to hear that Plymouth is so accepting. I've always felt that, but again, yeah. I'm not coming from a, you know, ethnic minority in a, in a mostly all white Dutch and German community. Right. So it's easy for me to perceive that, but I'm not experiencing any of it if yeah. it's there. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm married to a Caucasian. Um, my kids are half, you know, Caucasian, half Filipino, although they look more Filipino than they do, you know, like a German or Norwegian. Um, but they've they've never really voiced to me anything that was mm-hmm you know, that they experienced racially, nothing that really, really stuck out. I do remember when I was growing up, one of these, one of my classmates, I don't know why he would always like say chink to me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but I just do remember that and thinking he just doesn't know. Yeah, you know, like it just. Let me roll out a map real yeah. quick and teach you the difference between. First of all, it's not very. It's not. Yeah, it's not really a PC word to use, but right. but you know, I I think just like you said, like people just don't experience. They don't. They don't mm-hmm. have any experience with it. And um, my dad was always very well respected just mm-hmm. in the position that he was in, and you know, my parents both speak with pretty strong accents, you know, and I know that sometimes when I was growing up, my friends would kind of like have to listen extra close, you know, when they were talking to them, because like, they really not be able to understand what they were saying. But, um, you know, for the most part, we had our American friends, we had our Filipino friends, and it just all, you know, everything all just worked out well. So it's a big thing to go into business. Um, even if you are a professional dentist or doctor, like we mentioned earlier, you may not have gone through the business courses to, you know, do I do, how, how do I set up this business? Is it an LLC? Is it an S corp? How am I getting taxed? What can I write off? Who do I trust to be a lawyer, be an accountant? So what drove you guys to go, Hey, let's buy a practice and let's do this on our own versus, Let's go work for somebody else that might provide stable benefits, less liability, things like that. Yeah. Um, so we always um, we always thought that we would have our own practice, um, just being two of us already. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sort of our own little group. Yeah. Um, and we would have the flexibility to come and go as we wanted. Um, and we knew of, you know, friends that had – graduated already and things that were already starting their practices because I, he hadn't graduated yet, but I had already graduated and had friends that were in practice already for a couple of years and kind of just saw how that was working for them. And having worked, you know, in the Air Force, it's different when you're not your own boss, you know, I mean, it's just different. So 
um, having our own practice was something that was more of a goal for us. Um, how to do it was a little bit of a, a stumbling block. We looked at op- um, buying a practice mm-hmm. in a bigger city um, in Wisconsin and we were there and we were raring to go, but the guy that we were wanting to buy the business from thought he was ready to be done, but I think he wasn't quite ready. He, I think he was just really preparing um, for his retirement, but didn't think it would happen so fast. And so he was kind of like jumping the gun a little bit. So we were having a hard time making it our own. So we kind of looked around and we found Plymouth and said, this is awesome. And this gentleman was ready to retire very, very soon. So we ended up buying his practice and it was, it was small, Mm -hmm. but we knew it was something that we could grow together. Um, And yeah, it just had worked out very well. And Plymouth beings, knowing that we were going to be raising a family at the time Mm -hmm. we had one son and was pregnant with another and we said we need to have a place that's very family friend mm-hmm. friendly and place to grow up. So, and buying a practice versus starting one from the ground up was beneficial. And and I I want to bring this up for people who might listen from the perspective of being an entrepreneur or a professional yes. that wants to go out on their own. Was you have some built in clientele to start, so yes. you're going right into business versus. Let's find a building, all the equipment. I mean, I'm sure in dentistry, the equipment is your most expensive buy-in besides real estate if you're buying a building or something. Right. So in buying the practice, you know, you have, um, you know, buying the patient records Mm -hmm. is a huge part of it. Um, Part of the goodwill is also part of it, you know, um, the transition, you know, that this dentist under new management or under new ownership presents Mm -hmm. you as like, I trust them, stay with them, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, and then the equipment. So the practice that we bought was kind of an older practice. Um, we pretty much revamped the whole thing. Once we came in, we were in the practice, the physical practice itself. Um, where Dr. Dombeck had practiced for just a short while, um, not even a year. And then we moved to another area and that we built up from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time we were just renting the building. Um, again, we did not know like business wise, <laughs> what, you know, do we buy a place? Do we rent a place? You know, we're already, you know, in quite a bit of debt, just even just buying a practice, you know, do we, put ourselves in more debt by buying a building or whatever Mm -hmm. and and then building up this practice that was more debt you know it was just like if people say that like oh you're just so rich because you are a (laughs) dentist or whatever it's like uh no uh we have notes all over this yeah you put a lot on the line (laughs) to make that happen it's quite yeah it's and it's it was stressful i remember my husband when he was signing at the bank the note for the practice, he was shaking so bad <laughs> because it was like, uh, I've never like signed for this much money in my life. You know, like this is like a huge commitment. This Ex- is it. Especially with starting a family and having young yeah. kids and wanting to provide. Yeah. I I can't imagine. It was, that- yeah, it was kind of crazy. So we had rented this building for 
quite some time. Um, this building that we're in now had been sort of on the market for a long time. Nobody really was interested in it. Then I think it was bank owned. And, and finally we just said, let's do it. Let's do it. And we gutted half of the building and made this all. Yeah. New. So um, it was a huge undertaking, but in retrospect, I kind of wish we would have did it earlier. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's all good. You know, it's, it's all part of that business part that we didn't know about. We kind of talked about this that earlier is that in dentistry, we just really don't get a lot of business mm. background or information on how to run a business. I, they, dental school teaches you how to prep a crown and fill a filling and clean teeth and all that kind of stuff. But as far as like, this is how a business is run that you kind of do on the job or mm. you need to take some other classes or learn from somebody yeah. um, that is already, you know, in the thick of it. What do you think has been the biggest challenge when it comes to the dental practice that you guys came across, whether it was in the first coming in and taking over an existing practice or was it, you know, when you came into this new space or hiring staff, like what's been some of the if there's one biggest challenge or what are some of the biggest challenges that you were like, Ooh, I wish I would have learned how to deal with this. Yeah. Um, I think in general, I would say, um, I wish that as far as I financial planner and business manager, we would Mm. have gotten somebody that really knew dental business. We had accountants that kind of held our hands through kind of the legalities of everything. But as far as practice management, they weren't dedicated to dental. So they didn't know a lot of the ins and outs of, you know, this is the flow. This is, Mm. you know, how things have worked with other of our clients and things like that. So we only just, you know, recently switched over to um, a business a financial planner that is really dedicated for dental and they have switched off everything. Like you said, you know, we switched from LLC to an S corp. We, you know, like it was just like ways that maximize our business. So um, that I wish we would have done a lot sooner. And that I think is an ego thing because Mm -hmm. I just, you know, we just kind of thought we could do this. Like, we're fine. We're doing good. You know, it's fine. We're, you know, paying the bills and, you know, it's, yeah. it's okay. You know, but then as we're getting older and we're thinking, we have to think about retirement here and we have to yeah. think about eventually selling this practice, you know, and figuring out, you know, how, how is this all going to like culminate? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so that's when we really started thinking it's time to, put down, you know, in writing, this is what our assets are. This is what we need to do. This is what our goals are. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of were going in a, in a sense, paycheck to paycheck, you know, right. just kind of like, Hey, we paid our bills. Awesome. You know, made a little money. Awesome. You know? And so it was kind of yeah. going along, but it can be much more lucrative than that. And, and not that, you know, you want to make millions of dollars or anything, but you want to be able to retire Mm-hmm. comfortably and you know after working so hard and doing so much for so many years 
you want to have a little something to show for it when you when you get done. So. Exactly. And it, yeah. it seems like you guys are at a good spot to go, okay, like we need to make sure we're preparing for that future. And what you said is so important of putting those goals in writing because yeah. then you can set those benchmarks of whether that's two years, five years, 18 months, short-term, yeah. long-term. Um, and then once you guys are on board, your partner's on board, your staff's on board, and everybody knows and it's transparent, yeah. You are, it is. it does become more lucrative because yes. everybody's working towards the same yeah. end, essentially. Yeah. It was kind of like, well, you know, talking about stumbling blocks is COVID. Sure. Um, you know, we were closed for at least 10 weeks. That had to be scary, um, like right at the beginning of just not knowing, not knowing one, what it was, but then yeah. when will our business yeah. be able to operate? And and when our business does start operating, what's it going to look like? Yeah. Because there were so many changes that were happening. I mean, if you think about COVID, we are literally at the mouth of of the virus you know i mean we're we're right there you know? i just so- <laughs> said that to someone who was in dental they were talking about being in dental school and i'm like man i just realized how scary that had to be i mean of course our frontline workers nurse but yeah so our dentists or so dental hygienists yeah. who are literally putting their hands yeah i mean where we transmit the virus <laughs> i mean our face is like you know 10 inches from your mouth you know i mean it's like okay wow there's definitely going to be some precautions but it it was fine patients were awesome with Mm. it but i have to say the greatest thing was our staff Mm. even while we were in our 10 month 10 weeks of um you know downtime couldn't work doing anything they were doing continued education they were doing um you know helping plan for when mm-hmm. we reopen, this is what we're going to do, you know. And then once we were given the go-ahead to, you know, s- start getting ready to reopen, it was all the changes that had to happen, you know, air purifiers, barriers, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, the whole temperature taking and blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. Um, they were so amazing. And you can tell – our staff is like an old staff. We yeah. have – people that have been with us for seven years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 some years. Our our Love front them. office manager has been with us since before we were even here because she was with Dr. Dombeck. And so like, she's like 30 some years, 35 years or something that she's been with the practice itself. Wow. And it says a lot about you guys as employers too, because not to keep someone from an old practice, but then to maintain that longevity yeah. with them and your your new staff. So yeah. congratulations. Thank that you. Says, uh, I, the retention is is awesome. Um, the a lot of it is just because they are family and they mm-hmm. have a say in how the practice is run. We are not tyrants. We don't say you know iron fist. This yeah. is what we're doing. We we actually say. What do you think about this? Are you guys comfortable with this or, you know, mm-hmm. what, any ideas? And they are all – it's very open-door policy and everyone can say whatever they want. And it's just been such a good marriage, I guess, mm-hmm. with our with our little family here. And um, during COVID, it was just very obvious that they have invested themselves mm-hmm. in our practice. And yeah. it is their practice too. You know, I mean, 
and everyone stayed. We retained every single employee mm-hmm. and it was just, wow. You know, it's awesome. It's just really a blessing. So, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I guess you, you can teach it, but you really have to be that kind of person. Um, you hear about a lot of places that certainly you know, work yeah. that just, it just doesn't work. And those are, you know, kind of places that have a lot of turnover and things like that. And I think that maybe more of a personality thing, you uh-huh. know, I mean, there, there's a business aspect to it too, but it, it's, you're really dealing with the person. Yeah. You, you finding the people that have the same mindset or outlook on life, even yeah. You're right. You can teach them the skill or, Mm -hmm. you know, the set of skills to do the job. But if the attitude isn't there Mm -hmm. to come in with a smile, it just (laughs) isn't probably never going to be there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I, we're, we're a happy, we're a happy staff. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny because my son that was looking at going to medical school, you know, he came and was working at our office and was like, everyone's laughing and everyone's happy and this is just such a happy place to be and come every day he said this is the this is what i want for my future so he ended up wanting to go to dental school so i love that (laughs) kind of pivoting here a little bit because there's so much to cover with with you and and with both of um between the the dental practice and your massage but with the dental practice, you are now doing sleep dentistry as well, which is something I don't think I ever really thought of till I read it on your website mm-hmm. and put two and two together of what that means and, and what it could be and how it could benefit people. Yeah. But I want to hear from you, what is that and what are you, I know you're you're doing a lot of neat stuff in this space and we can kind of talk about, you know, uh, the this massage office turning into more of sleep dentistry, but yeah. um, kind of take us through that because I think that's probably something people are not familiar with. Sure. So um, during COVID, when we were sitting at home, <laughs> um, I started um, looking into some continuing education and started taking some classes dealing with sleep breathing issues, snoring, yeah, sleep apnea, um, and it it sort of is a question like why would a dentist talk to me about my snoring or about my and it all that was really, my first thought yeah, yeah it all really makes sense when you think about it it's all like in your mouth and your throat like this is where it is and so um there's so many options for treating sleep breathing issues apnea you know there's surgical mm-hmm. there's now they have this implant um that you can put in that will sort of like a pacemaker It'll kind of like pull your muscles taut wow, so okay. that you don't snore. Um, it's called Inspire. Um, they have, you know, CPAP, of course, mm-hmm. and all the different kind of PAP machines that you can um, get. And then now there's these appliances, mouth appliances, which bring your jaw forward, your lower jaw forward, so that it takes all that tissue, extra tissue, brings your tongue forward kind of thing, and just opens up the airway just make it more patent so air can just kind of more passively come through. It's different than a CPAP because a CPAP is going to It's forcing blow. air. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It forces air in. And so if there's an obstruction, like your tongue is back or your throat's closed, it just blows it open and forces the air in. It's not so much that the air is, is going in. It's the 
blowing of the airway open. And then, of course, and then the air goes in. But the way that the appliance is, is it just sort of holds it open so that you just have an, a patent airway that's not blocked. Um, so that's why dentistry kind of falls into that because we deal with the mouth the jaw, all the time. Yeah. And it's these appliances are tooth borne. You know, I mean, they're going to be retained by your teeth, by your gums and things. Like, and who knows more about that than a dentist? Exactly. So that's how that all sort of came to be. And I started taking more and more classes on it. And I was just super fascinated. I actually started doing this several years ago, maybe like eight years ago. Um, I started taking some classes on sleep apnea and things like that and bought some equipment for it. But it's a little bit, it's touchy because as a dentist, I cannot diagnose sleep apnea. Okay. It has mm-hmm. to be diagnosed by a sleep physician, pulmonologist, ENT, something, you know, a physician. Um, and then they decide your mode of treatment. So if you're so severe that you need to be on a CPAP machine or have surgery or, you know, something like that, they say, this is the mode we're going with. If they say, you know, you're mild, you know, the the way that the architecture in your mouth is such that you would benefit from an appliance, then they send them back to me. Okay. And then I make that for them. But I have to abide by a prescription by a physician. Um, so then I have a very good relationship with um, some of the area ENTs and pulmonologists um, who are so great. Um, and we're trying to educate each other, mm-hmm. you know, because this is not super new, um, but it is on the rise so much on the rise because either awareness and I hate to say it, obeseness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're getting to be a very fat population. Yes. And that, not that you, it's limited to people that are, you know, overweight, um, but it is a huge factor. Um, and in that sense, and there's a lot of people that. Yeah. And, and I know that people can take that and, and turn that into a very sensitive topic, mm-hmm. but talk to us about why the being obese or being overweight is going to affect your airway. Okay. So obesity or not even obesity, you can be a big football player with a big, thick, muscular neck. Now you're talking about mass. Yeah. And so when you lay down that mass of tissue and muscle and fat Mm -hmm. will press down on your airway. Yeah. I mean, they're straws, basically. You know, your trachea, esophagus, they're basically straws that are leading down into your body. Um, but they're collapsible. Yes. And okay. it's going to collapse with excess tissue, whether it's muscle or fat. Um, and so um, trying to figure out ways to reduce that, either with sort of like a liposuction of your airway, you know, basically, you know, paring down some of that excess tissue um, with surgery or bringing the jaw forward to get it out of the way. So it's not so collapsible Uh, with the, you know, puff of air that you mm -hmm. put through to kind of push that out of the way. That's the whole premise is it's just too much tissue, too much fat. um, That's just getting in the way. And it's it's really important to talk about because, you know, there's the obvious things that we think of when we think of um, 
obesity or or being overweight of you know becoming pre-diabetic and then diabetic or the extra strain on the joints or you know just mobility in general yeah. and and being able to to live a full life if that's what you want mm-hmm. um but i i hadn't ever really thought about that connected with sleep apnea i mean it mean it makes perfect sense yeah. but i it's it's not something that people are like again you mentioned education earlier that's not something that people are being educated on. Right. I'm actually doing a talk um, later this month at um, like the senior center mm-hmm. here at Generations, and um, and also in the fall, I'm starting with the community education um, yeah, and, and doing some talks with that because it really is something that people are they're getting aware of it. Um, and what used to be cute snoring, you know, cute gurgling and things like that, even with children, especially with children, um, it's not cute anymore because it's actually literal cries for help. Um, you need air. And during that time when you are supposed to be restoring and just rehabilitating yourself at night, it's not happening. And it's and I'm not even just talking about breathing. I'm talking about cardiovascularly. Um, when you have an obstruction that, you know, your jaw, your airway just shuts down, um, your body doesn't really know the difference between that obstruction and someone choking you. Mm. So in the middle of the night, your body thinks someone's choking me. What happens? You know, your sympathetic fires, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, every cortisol levels go, uh, 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 you know, crazy yeah. during this time when you're supposed to be resting. And how many times does it happen in the night? You know, it, I know there's people out there that sleep right next to somebody that is, you know, choking all through the night, and and you sit there and you wait for them to breathe. You, you just you can't even sleep because you're like worried that they're not going to take that next breath. Yeah. There's so many people that are like that and those are the people that need to get help. And sometimes they don't realize the person themselves don't realize that this is super happening until their bed partner says, "Hey, you weren't breathing last night or you were snoring so hard or, mm. you know, yeah, that kind of thing." Um they have really great things now on apps for on your phone. Yeah, to you track can your sleep. Track your sleep, but you can also track your snoring mm. and it will tell you. So if you don't have a bed partner, you have an app that can be your bed partner and tell you, you know, Use if it. you're yeah. breathing, not breathing, you know, kind of thing. Um, but you know, a sleep study is just really what you need to you know, have to just definitively say. Because that's affecting everything because a lack of oxygen then to your brain, to like to your cardiovascular system, you're putting Mm -hmm. stress on your heart. Yeah. It affects so much. I mean, you know, they've talked about, you know, increase in incidence of cancer, diabetes, definitely high blood pressure. Um, The, all of that, even overweight, Mm -hmm. you know, some Mm -hmm. people, you know, they're like, oh, I'm overweight and, you know, now I have sleep apnea. It could be the opposite. So you have sleep apnea and then you make poor choices with food. You know mm-hmm. how it is. Like yeah. you're tired. You just grab. You don't mm-hmm. want to cook. You know, you just grab and, and you have poor diet. You're tired. You don't want to work out. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's sort of chicken or the egg. You know, yeah. I mean – you may be overweight, 
because of your sleep apnea. And now you have sleep apnea because of your weight, you know? So that's a, I, I love that you brought that up because that's, and that is part of it, right? Like there's no shame in either one of those things right. because one could be causing the other yeah. and there are solutions. Um, and, and they might be difficult, I, mm-hmm. you know, especially if it's, if it is the, I need to lose weight to, to help with this other thing. But I love that you called that out, that if you're already having these sleep apnea issues, the other issues that you're trying to address to help that are going to be worse. So let's treat all of it. Yeah. More holistically, I I think, approach of. Right. I mean, I I have patients that are on CPAP machines already. And the compliance on CPAP machines, they dwindle, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, after three to five years. You know, some people are just like, yeah, it helps me, but I just cannot do this anymore, Mm -hmm. you know. And then they come and they say, can I have this appliance, you know. And so then we work with their ENT or physician or whatever to see if this they're you know a good candidate for it um but yeah it's hard um because nothing works if you don't use it yeah you know a CPAP honestly is awesome it is the best it's the gold standard for it but it doesn't work when it's in your closet Mm -hmm. you know the compliance on a appliance is so much higher um it's just tolerable that, you know, these people, you know, they get on CPAP machines because their their bed partner is like, I cannot sleep with your snoring or I cannot sleep because I'm afraid you're not breathing. And then they get this CPAP machine and I cannot sleep with you because you have this CPAP. noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I want my bed partner back, yeah. you know? And so they'll come and they'll say, can I get this? You know, like, yeah. My wife and I have been sleeping in separate rooms or whatever, and it's just, you know, it's helpful, and it's nice to have options. Mm-hmm. So I actually just made one for a lady that she was going to the desert for a couple weeks. Uh-huh. Of course, no electricity, um, and she was on a CPAP machine. But she said, better than nothing. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, Reggie White died from sleep apnea. Right. And you look at him, and you're like, well, you know, it's an athlete. He's an athlete, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. not limited to just, you know, super obese men over 50 kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's really, you know, can be anybody. And it's life-saving. I can't tell you how many <laughs> stories that I've heard about people, you know, they die just because they just sleep apnea. Yeah. And you know wow. that that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I just share, I don't know. Put this yeah, in no. there, but my my assistant had uh, her uncle um, was diagnosed with sleep ap- sleep apnea. He had had problems before and finally got diagnosed. He was waiting for a CPAP machine to arrive, and he died the Ugh. next day. The CPAP machine showed up at the door. <sighs> like it just is something that I think people blow off because they think snoring, mm. or it's just whatever. I just don't get a good night's sleep. Yeah. It's not whatever. It's way more than that. And um, again, it's education. I mean, it's it's letting people know, like, there is something wrong Mm -hmm. and there's a way to fix it, you know, or at least, you know, reduce, you know, the effects of whatever it is that you're having. So. uh, I'm I'm passionate about it. (laughs) I really do want to. Yeah. 
help whoever I can. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like I just learned so much in the last 10 minutes about it. (laughs) Like I've been aware of it. I know about it, but don't know that I would call it to someone's attention right away, especially if you have a partner where maybe your schedules are different and you're sleeping you know, maybe somebody's working at night and, and yeah. you maybe hear it in passing as they leave or something. Right. You might not think about how important it is to go, hey, what the heck? Why don't we just get it checked out? Like right. it doesn't hurt to just go find out if this is something you have and find a solution. Right. I think where it really hits home is when you see children mm. that struggle to breathe. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's I just remember watching this video of a, a child in a car seat. So not even laying down. It still is upright and um, was in the car seat and sleeping and just, you know, and just sounded like they were choking, you know. And at first, you know, you're like, oh, that's so cute, you know, whatever, you know. And then they just stop breathing. And then all of a sudden they take a big gasp and you're like, okay, then that cannot be good. Yeah. Then you have, you know, even babies can have this, you know, and then they have like failure to thrive and don't really know what's going on. But it is just really they're just not getting their, you know, REM sleep. They're not getting their deep Mm -hmm. sleep, you know, and so then they're smaller and then they have focus issues at school and, you know, get diagnosed with ADHD or something like that when it's more of a sleep. It's it's very often it could be just a, a sleep issue or a sleep breathing issue, um, but it gets diagnosed to ADHD. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, I, I, we can help you with that without medication. Yeah. Know, kind of thing. And I, that's something that there's, you know, a lot of talk about, especially with the way the world is right now. And we're seeing a lot of young men specifically commit horrendous acts and people are going, you know, we're, what's the bottom line, right? And there's so many layers. There's, there's tons of different things, right? But you you mentioned the REM sleep. You mentioned the going into school and being diagnosed with something like ADHD mm-hmm. and how that, I mean, missing REM sleep at any age, our brains aren't having that chance to reset. We're not cleansing, you know, we're not, what is it, processing like the memories yeah. of the day and then yep. being able to, okay, next exactly. and, and, yep. and do that filing system the right way. And so mental health then becomes the conversation, you know, like, is that the is that the bottom line? Is that the root of the problem? So do we do more mental health services? Or, and maybe this is a stretch, are there these sleep problems that we're encountering for whatever problem, children being more obese or what we're feeding them or whatever, or just a natural sleep issue? Mm -hmm. And now that's affecting REM sleep. It's affecting they're tired in school. You know, the things just start piling up. So, and again, there's a bunch of different reasons. I'm sure it's not one thing and I'm not saying that, but to hear you talk about it, it's like, oh, wow, that kind of puts a light bulb in my brain of yeah. there's so many things happening potentially at a young age that we're not, we're going, oh, that is cute. Yeah. But no, oh, that's a sleep issue that could be causing right. additional health issues down the road. Yeah. The the first, I mentioned the first class that I took like eight years ago or so, um, the lady that was training us, she was telling us about her son who um, just really had a lot of student issues, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, just not performing well, not focusing well, misbehaving, falling asleep in class. And he had this, this habit of like 
twirling his hair and pulling on his hair and things okay. like that. And to the point where like he was had bald spots <sighs> and um, she finally had him tested um, for sleep and ends up that he had sleep apnea and he was already a teenager by this time. Sure. Um, so had already sort of like damage was done. Um, and he finally was able to sleep and kind of started turning his life around. I mean, wow. things just were so much better for mm-hmm. him. Right. And then they talked about the hair pulling thing and they found out he did that to keep himself awake. So that, wow. you know, wow. it, it's mm-hmm. kind of these signs that we don't really realize, but in retrospect, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that may be what mm-hmm. the problem was, you know? Wow. But you don't really know and you hopefully experience will teach you. Yeah, so I um I took a board exam with the um, American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine just recently, um, and hoping that I passed and um, uh-huh. that I will be um, a diplomate with the academy. And so um, there are none in this county right now. Um, the nearest one I think is. Manitowoc and okay. like an hour or so away. So yeah. um, there was one in Sheboygan here, but he retired. The timing seems to be right to kind of pick it up. Um, but I'm hoping that this sort of opens the door to maybe more dentists doing mm-hmm. it and more physicians being aware of like this option, because it may not be the option that is presented to them when they right. are talking about sleep, um, breathing disorders. Um, But knowing, like, Philips just had a huge recall with all their CPAP machines that had a special lining in it that was breaking down. And so there were a bunch of CPAP machines that were um, recalled. So I have some patients that they said, I have no CPAP machine now. I can't get one, either because their insurance, there's like a snafu with their insurance, or they um, they just don't have them. They're just yeah. not available. So what they're telling physicians now is your severe ones, yes, get them their CPAP machines. Your mild to moderate, if they're a candidate for a appliance, do that. Do that. And yeah. save the, the, you know, the severe ones, save the CPAPs for them. So I'm hoping that that sort of, mm-hmm. you know, will raise the awareness and, you know, maybe increase the numbers of people that will be using this type of appliance. It's good to know that that's a conversation you can have with your doctor. Is there an alternative so that I don't just stop using this because I'm annoyed with it? I'm I'm tired. Right. And like I said, CPAP is so good. Something is better than nothing. You know, if this is going to be, you know, 80% as good, at least you're doing something, you know, because otherwise... You know, putting it in the closet, like I said, Mm -hmm. doesn't help. So we're sitting right now in what is Jade Healing Massage, Mm -hmm. which is an endeavor that you started. Mm -hmm. And you told me when I came in that you'll be closing in November and Mm -hmm. turning this into your sleep sleep. dentistry Mm -hmm. office. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit about the massage practice as well while you had it. I just, like, the mouth... That was great helping, but doing the whole body just is a whole different thing. It was funny because when when I first started, we were in this building next door here, and I I stole the consultation 
room that was to the left. So when you came in to the treatment area, mm-hmm. to the left was the consultation, and to the right were all the operatories. Okay. And it was funny because patients would be like, I want to go to the left. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go to the right. <laughs> yeah. I'll just be over here and massage. <laughs> so, um, but it was, it, it was always my thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to use it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to just do it and, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, just put it to the side. So um, it was a little weird, you know, to kind of, because people are like, you have a, you have a profession, you have a practice, like, why would you do this? And again, you know, going back to that story, universe was just pushing me yeah. to, to do this. Don't really know why, but I just listened mm-hmm. um, and did it. And really, it's been such a joy, the people that I've met mm-hmm. and the stories and, you know, how I've helped them. You know, mm-hmm. we talked, you had mentioned something about the ear seeds. Yeah. I have a lot of stories about, you know, auricular therapy. And um, I don't use it a ton, ton, but there are instances where I'm like, this seems like an application for this. Um, I just love learning. Mm. I just am like a perpetual student. Um, as soon as I got done taking my board for my sleep thing, I started looking at some myofunctional therapies for <laughs> mouth and throat and uh-huh. basically kind of how to how to work out your muscles yeah. to kind of keep them toned so that you don't get this and my husband's like really <laughs> <laughs> what I'm like next? I could take this class and then if I take this test then I'll be certified in this and he was like oh you literally just got done taking this board <laughs> that's that's great though I mean that's I love that because I I, I think I'm a lifelong learner too because I I like to know the root of the problem. Like, like where was the seed of the problem planted? Yeah, and and start there because with the overload of information in our society and culture, we just go to like the symptom that's presenting right now. And I had that experience with thinking that I tore something in my shoulder and having this pain and finally went online and just YouTube some physical therapy tests to see if it was, did I tear something or mm-hmm. went to my massage therapist who did work down all into my pecs and into the muscles in my armpit and instant relief. But I was so tense and stressed and I had just neglected just my pec muscles, my shoulders, mm-hmm. everything was so tight that whatever nerves it was hitting or whatever was giving me the sensation of I I might need sol- shoulder surgery because yeah. of the pain I'm experiencing. Yeah. And after several visits and then me doing exercises on my own and then strengthening again and then dealing with my stress, I don't have that pain anymore. Yeah. Um, but so I like to get to that root of the problem of yeah. m- the root of my problem is actually I'm typing on my computer wrong, and I'm stressed. And so you combine those, a physical motion within my body holding on to that stress or trauma, mm-hmm. and now it's creating a muscular problem, yeah. and now I found a solution. But if you don't know how to get to the root of that that problem, I mean, again, there's a lot of layers to it, but yeah. and that's, that's the benefit of massage is you, you're addressing physical, but then your patient almost needs to potentially find out 
what those stressors are. Right. Or, exactly. Well, yeah. What's the root of the problem? What, yeah. what are you doing? You know, is it holding your phone with your neck? Or I have one patient that she was a checkout person. Mm. You yeah. Know, one of the grocery stores. And she always had this pain like on her, on her right side. And it was because that's what she, the hand she used to drag the <laughs> item over the scanner. And yeah. she was constantly doing that over and over again. And she started getting a lot of pain and, we're like, well, that's your problem, you know, yeah. like you need to figure out a way either not do that job, do a different job or figure out a way, you know, use your other hand sometimes or, you mm-hmm. know, something. Um, How do you manage the, cause that, are, is, are you just naturally someone that can handle that stress? Because I mean, even if it's not stressful, right? Like to me, learning's not stressful, it's enjoyable, but I need lots of downtime because interacting with people is such a like an energy suck for me. Yeah. I think because I like take in, I'm really trying to listen and their energies can really feed into mine, good, bad or otherwise. Yeah. So I need a lot of, I need eight hours of sleep. I need, you know, breaks in between to just kind of reset. Okay, now I'm entering into a conversation that's going to be about something else. Let me kind of clear my head from that last one. Right. But with someone like you or your daughter that you mentioned, you're doing you have to maximize your time yeah. and you're doing stuff back to back. How do you not push too far or become too stressed? Or um, have you encountered that? I do get stressed out. And my family will be the first to tell you that I am like a little crazy sometimes. You know, I'll be <laughs> yelling or whatever, you know, uh-huh. just like a mom, you know, if I yeah. would. Um, but yeah, I do. I would say that probably the biggest thing is my husband is mm. – super fan, super supporter. When I was running marathons, he was dragging five kids along with him, you know, while, you know, I'm running all these marathons and, you know, I go to these continuing education things and, you know, leave and he's got to, you know, hold down the fort while I'm gone. And, you know, he is, he's awesome. And he pursues his own things, but very quietly, mm. you know, and just kind of does his own thing and does it, you know, without disrupting like I do, <laughs> disrupting the flow. Um, but he's very low key. And he's like mm-hmm. the kindest person you will ever, ever meet. And um, he's just so supportive. And like, like I said, how he was like, oh, really? You just got done with your, this board. Honestly, he was just kind of like, it tracks. All like, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, of course you are, you know, yeah. because now you're bored. And my, I, I laugh because my dad is sort of the same, uh-huh. runs his life sort of in the same vein. Um, he said to us that the reason why he became a physician and, and a surgeon is because he just really didn't sleep. And he said, I really needed to do something and study something that would require me to put the Mm. time in because everybody else is sleeping and I'm twiddling my thumbs because I need something, you know? So he started doing that and he was always trying new things. Even when I was a kid, you know, he'd try cross country skiing or this acupuncture thing, or, you know, like he does woodworking now, as soon as he retired, when he was 70, he built a house literally with his two hands with a friend built a house. And, you know, so I come by it honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's genetic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um but it you know I think it's it's good because you know it's really rubbed off on my kids in a good mm. way. 
um, you know, I'm very involved in music mm-hmm. and I love that all my kids love music. They <sighs> love singing. During COVID, we put together, we, I always wanted to have a family band, even when my youngest was like, all she could play was triangle, you know? Yeah. And, you know, my husband played the bass, I'd play the keyboard or something, or my flute, and, you know, all the kids played something, and never could get it together, you know? Either we all would just start and be stir-crazy and just get frustrated and not do it, or whatever, but during COVID, we were all in the house. And now they were old enough that... Tim and I didn't need to be in the band anymore. Yeah. The five of them could hold it down. So I had my youngest playing the piano, my other daughter playing the bass, my oldest playing the guitar, my second son playing the cajon, which is like the percussion. Okay. And then my third son playing violin. Oh, wow. And they did I Can Only Imagine, which is just such a lovely song. Yeah. And they sang, each of them sang a verse and... They did it completely. It was so funny because I wanted to do this, but, you know, recording stuff, you just can't really do it on your phone or whatever, you know. So I contacted um, the local music store and asked her, Mm -hmm. do you have, like, anything that I could use to, like, record? And she had, like, a soundboard. Oh, nice. We could put all our mics in. and And then we had a couple amps for our guitars and stuff. We actually have like this sound system now. And so we recorded it and it actually was just kind of a rough rehearsal recording. Yeah. But it ended up being the final cut because my son ended up having to leave to go to Madison. So that's the final cut. And I love it still. It's, it's awesome. But it's just like in our living room. I and love the kids that singing it, and it's my favorite thing. And it was like a total dream come true for me because mm-hmm. it was the one thing that I really wanted since they were little. Yeah, you know, it, after paying for so many <laughs> lessons, uh-huh. like, it finally came to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> it took a global pandemic, <laughs> but we have a family band, and that's <laughs> and they're kind of all. One one hit wonder kind of thing. Yeah, like, uh-huh. they only do one song. <laughs> it's the only song they did, and but it was really nice because while they were working on it together, I kind of got the ball rolling. But yeah. they were old enough and good enough musicians that they could kind of figure it out themselves. And you know, Tim and I would be in the kitchen listening to them, and they were just having a ball, laughing and mm. loving it. And we recorded some of their you know rehearsals yeah. and things like that, and it was just. So awesome. I and, love that. Yeah. You know, your kids will do what you love to do too. Like mm-hmm. they they see you have a passion for something and they're like, you know, I want to try that. So like yeah. two of my sons have already done marathons. One's done, I think, three of them already. And, you know, because they've seen me do them. And I yeah. honestly, I think they think if mom can do them, honestly, I should be able to yeah. do it, right? <laughs> So, you know, they they start running and then, you know, they sing and they, you know, Mm -hmm. play piano, they play guitar, whatever, you know, but I think a lot of it comes from, hey, I I have a little introduction to this. I kind of know a little bit about it. It's not something so foreign. Um, And then they see and and then they kind of run with it. It's funny because my youngest, a few years ago, I mean, Uh she was probably only like 12 or something. And I said, hey, do you think you'd ever run a marathon? And she was like, eh, yeah, I think maybe I would. And I was thinking, I, not all 
12-year-olds would say that unless they kind of know what it means or what, what it, it entails. And, what, yeah. yeah. And I kind of thought, I can pat myself on the back for that one because yeah. – because it's just giving them these little introductions, mm-hmm. I think that just is is huge. So, you know, well, it it opens them up to so many different experiences yeah. that maybe, even if it's not something you do forever as a yeah. parent, if if you go uh, pottery and you're excited about it, yeah. maybe one of your kids that is what their art form and it becomes their right. passion, right. which they would have never found if one of their parents hadn't been like, "What the heck? Let's learn it." Yeah. You know, uh, same thing with, you know, traveling with, with kids or, you know, mm-hmm. m- no matter how old they are, like yeah. seeing the world and opening their eyes to other opportunities and other cultures and yeah. just what's out there. Sometimes we just become, we have so many blinders on. Mm-hmm. And I think the world kind of teaches us like, pick your thing, do it, yeah. make money to support being alive and the newest gadget and whatever. And we don't think about like, it's possible to support yourself and pursue Anything yeah. that you are passionate about or interested in, I totally agree. And and being in in mom groups, you know, we'll we'll be talking, and some moms will be like, you know, I only let them be in two sports, and that's it. They pick two, and those are the two that they're gonna be in, and that's it. And I'm like, they because I'm not gonna run around driving them everywhere and whatever. And here, I, you know, I have five kids, and I'm like. You be in as many things as you want. Mm-hmm. You want to do it, I will drive you there. I will, yeah. you know, you just have to commit to it. Like, yep. I don't want to, you know, none of this quitting stuff. You know, yeah. you, you, you write it out. Even if you don't like it, you, you're you, doing, you, yeah, you're you signed up. Yep. And, you know, these these other moms like, I would never, you know, this that's not what I, you know. And I'm like, no, I'm the total opposite. Yeah. Because you never know if that one thing that they try is going to be that spark. the thing yeah, that they love. And so mm-hmm. I I always told my kids, you do whatever you want to do, and love I them. will be there to cheer you on and drive you wherever. And they know it. Yeah. And it, it's kind of cute because now that they're old enough to realize that and they see us going to all – you know, my daughter's stuff and, you know, the mm-hmm. older boys are like, you know what? You were at all my soccer games. Like, yeah. you were at all, you know, like they were like, you never miss. Like, you know, my husband and I <laughs> would go to great lengths to mm-hmm. just even see like the last 20 minutes of a game or something. Like that, if that's all we could see, you know, and we're like, well, A, it's joyful for us to see yeah. you doing something that you love. Um, you know, and and B, if if you're going to be there, I should be there too. You know, like, yeah, it's, it only happens for so long. And And it's something they committed to, they perfected, they dedicated time to like, how impactful is it to have somebody show up and go, wow. Like I, we get invited to our four-year-old nephew's little soccer Wednesday soccer shots or whatever. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I want to go to that because How cool is a kid to turn around and see people that love you yeah. cheering you on for – and it does teach dedication. Like you committed to coming out and getting on this field even right. though, you know, they're not really playing soccer. But you came <laughs> out here and you committed to it. Right. And what it, it, it's a joy for me to see you having fun and then for them to turn around and just see like these are the people that have my back. Right. You know, and it's, it's, it's so impactful as a parent mm-hmm. for kids and it's – 
uh, you know, I'm sure they're not consciously thinking that, but it gets implanted, you know, back to that idea of seeds. I think that's kind of been a common theme through this conversation, but implants that seed of here's someone I can trust. They really love me. They showed up even just for 10 minutes. Like that's, that's, it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful way to end this, this conversation, but it's just a beautiful concept to to share and think about like just how the littlest thing makes a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk with me and and be a part of this new podcast. (laughs) This is so fun. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Don't forget to follow Conversation Mill on Instagram for episode previews and join Conversation Mill at conversationmill.substack.com for additional chats with our guests entrepreneurship tips, leadership training, and member-only content. And as always, thank you for listening to Conversation Mill and being part of our community.